Hello, this is Brian Bullington, and I am pastor of New Song Family Church in Ventuk, Namibia. I'm so glad that you have joined us today, and it's my prayer that this podcast message will help you to grow closer to Jesus as you walk daily with Him. We're getting very close to the day the world will celebrate uh, the birth of Jesus. Uh, that, that day's coming. Very, it's around the corner. Maybe you're already shopping and figuring out your Christmas plans. That day is designed for us to celebrate uh, the one uh, who came fully God, uh, fully human, uh, sent to forgive us, uh, to forgive undeserving humanity. I mean, that's, that's why Jesus came. Because we desperately needed forgiveness, we had a, all of us, uh, hum, humanity, humans had a huge debt to pay. And because of Jesus Christ, um, we have this freedom, the gift from the Lord to be forgiven, transformed by him, and, and made in right relationship with him, the perfect Christmas gift. There's no better gift than that right relationship with God. And we long, humanity, we as, as humans long for this kind of forgiveness. It's, it's, almost, that it's almost like it's inborn in us. Uh, one, one philosopher said that there's this, there's this God-shaped vacuum in us that only God can fill. And so we, we long for this forgiveness, getting right with the one who made us. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, uh, to, to live among us, fully human, fully God, uh, to die for our sins. He was crucified on a cross, rose again, lives today to give us life. This is the gift that we're celebrating in a couple of days. We long to be forgiven. We desperately need his touch. We, we long uh, to be loved. We long to be free. In the hands of God's unmerited favor, uh, we can be forgiven by God. But is there a catch? Matthew 18 uh, is an incredible passage, a story that Jesus has recorded that Jesus said, telling us, explaining what forgiveness looks like. And it's a, it's a great story for us to, to park on, to think through, to really meditate on, because it, it really lines out perfectly exactly how forgiveness works when it comes to God and us, you and me. The story is told, tells a story. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who decided to bring his accounts up to date. He basically decided to balance his checkbook, and he realized that there's people who owed him money, and so he called in people who owed him money to settle things up. There was one man, a servant, who owed him a million dollars. Let's just understand that in our world, uh, basically a lot of money, all right? Uh, If we need to today, you can associate that million dollars with U.S. dollars. Maybe that would be helpful. Uh, Or maybe a million pounds. It was a lot of money. He couldn't pay, so his master ordered that he be sold, along with his wife, his children, and everything he owned to pay the debt. But the man fell down before his master and begged him, please, Please be patient with me, and I'll pay it all. Then his master was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. But after the man left the king, he instantly found a guy who owed him a few thousand dollars. Yeah, not a million, but just a few thousand. Namibian dollars, or Zim dollars, maybe. Uh, he, <laughs> he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow, his fellow servant fell down before him and begged him, please, please forgive me. Be patient with me and I'll pay it, he pleaded. But this creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be fully paid. But some of his fellow servants heard about this, and so they were frustrated with the way this servant had not been graceful the same way he had received grace from the king. And so they went to the king and said, hey, you know this guy that you forgave millions of dollars? Uh, look what he did to his fellow servant. He owed him just a little bit. 
the king was very upset. He said, evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have also had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? That verse should be on the screen right now. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. And then Jesus says something very interesting in the story, verse 35. It's not on the screen. He says this, verse 35 of Matthew 18. says, that's what my heavenly father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. It kind of levels the playing field, doesn't it? Pretty clear. Pretty clear. The expectation of God is that we would offer forgiveness for little debts because we have been forgiven a large debt. Our forgiveness is motivated by the reality, in fact, that because God has given us tremendous grace, we also ought to give grace to others. And, and we long for this forgiveness ourselves, right? Just like this servant going to the king, please, please forgive me of my debts, right? But we need it, we need it, so what we need so much, very often is so very hard to give to others for whatever reason. Forgiveness is only the way to, to have peace in this stage of life. Look, revenge, retribution, retaliation, none of those will, will end in the kind of peace that we desire so badly. The same peace that was afforded us when God forgave us of our sins. Endless wars will only stop with forgiveness. We long to feel loved, accepted, free, and forgiven. All of us do. Not just you, but the person sitting next to you. The person that you're mad at, the person that you won't forgive, also needs this forgiveness and transformation of God. Only God can forgive him. God is only asking us to forgive them the small debt so that he can also forgive them the big debt, the bigger one, <laughs> the one that they need to be forgiven most so they can have this right relationship with God and have true peace. In the, in the 1980s, uh, in the United States, uh, there was a telephone service that people could call in and make money from. It was, they were called 900 numbers. Maybe you heard of these things. They were, I think there was a, something like that, too, in this part of the world. But uh, if, you, if you phoned those numbers, the person on the receiving end of the phone call would actually make money. And so people were calling in and listening to all different things. Uh, uh, there were all different schemes to, to make money from these telephone calls, 900 numbers. Uh, a, a man in Los Angeles and a man in New York City at the time decided to create an apology telephone line so that every time you called in, uh, you could apologize for something. It was um, anonymous, as we say here, and uh, <laughs> anonymous. Um, and you... <laughs> The police would not be verified. You could just come, you could confess your sins, pay a price like $1.35 uh, to confess your sins, and no one would, would be the wiser. Police would not hear about it. And uh, the first day these lines were opened, hundreds and hundreds of people started calling in and confessing sin from, from, from cheating, uh, from murder, uh, rape. Every type of sin you can think of was confessed on that apology line. There was, a, there was also the, the, the guy in Los Angeles created another telephone line, too, where you could call in and hear all of those confessions. So you could, <laughs> you could pay $1.35 to hear the confessions as well. And they made big money, millions of dollars. People called in. Hundreds of thousands of people called in daily. We desperately want to be forgiven. We want to confess those things and get those off of our chest. That's how we're wired. We, we, we need this. 
Forgiving others is, though, not very popular in the world we live in today. Uh, some would even say that, uh, that the, Christian, the Christian ethic of forgiveness uh, is actually weakness. Uh, and very often believers are, are attacked and insulted because they, they are so forgiving, uh, at least the ones that are forgiving, are seen as weak. I don't personally want to live in a world, though, that doesn't forgive. A world void of grace and a world without peace is the end result of a world that never forgives. It's this endless cycle, and we see this demonstrated throughout society, uh, places still today in our world that continue not to say, I'm sorry, and continue to fight, some for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. It is now their entire cultural makeup is this whole way of living uh, for revenge, retribution, and it's, it's disastrous. Uh, I don't have to name all the places that are in this continual constant war. You know about these. They're on the news all the time. The news loves these places. It's, it's the only thing that really makes the news. God has a plan for our lives that promises us love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. In the process of trying to accept this unconditional love from God, to be seen as his children with the best inheritance in this world, God often... Um, uh, comes to us. He comes to us consistently, constantly to forgive. Very often, the first step for us, though, is uh, to forgive. To very often, the first step is to forgive those who made us feel unloved in the very first place. This forgiveness that comes to us is needs to be accompanied with forgiveness to others. We are invited to forgive others. There's no question that some some of us, in many many ways, have been disgraced by the ones. There's no question that. The person that you're being asked to forgive has hurt you in some way, right? We do this in so many different levels. Uh, it's, it's the mother who gives her child two shirts for Christmas. When the child wears one shirt, the mother accuses the child of not loving the other shirt. Have you ever done that? Have you been guilty of that, moms? You know, that's on a lower level. Or the, it's, it's, the, it's the person who says, if you loved me, you would you owe me an education because of how hard I have worked to pay your way through school. Some parents manipulate by telling their children they need to please their husband or their wife. Your mother would be very disappointed if you, if you do that. Your mother would really appreciate it if you did dot, dot, dot. Some are very obvious, but painful nonetheless. Blame verbal abuse. I wish you had never been born. You're a mistake. You're stupid. You're ugly. You're fat. You're skinny. And then there's more extreme cases of hurt, sexual abuse, physical abuse, alcohol abuse. There's all these just straight-out violence, death, murder, stealing, all different types of crime that's enacted in the society that we live in, whether it's from our family or friends and or the, the, the neighborhoods that we live in. We have all, in some way, been subject to some kind of hurt where, in some way, we've been disgraced. We've been treated in a way that was not God's intention. And all of us, to a certain degree, carry a level of hurt. The key to your future, though, your success, is for you to also forgive as you've been forgiven. We are invited to forgive. And it's not easy, right? Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15. And you may just have this memorized. It goes like this. Our Father in heaven... This is the New Living Translation. If you have a King James Version, that's also fine. Or Afrikaans, say it with me. Our Father in heaven... May your name be kept holy. 
May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins as we forgive, as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then there's this footnote from Jesus in verses 14 and 15. This is what he says. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. It, it seems to me that part of our repentance, part of our coming to God for His help, involves us also being willing to forgive others and doing so. It, it's the condition of our forgiveness. Part of the plan was that not only would we be uh, forgiven, but that others around us would also be forgiven because Christ not only can forgive, but he also can transform. Look at 1 John 2.2. 2. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Uh, this plan is not just for you to gain right standing before God, but it is the plan also for those around you to also experience the same forgiveness that you've been afforded. God wants to forgive not just you the millions of dollars that you owe, but also the millions of dollars that your family owes. He's asking you only to forgive the few thousand dollars that they owe you. When we're wronged in some way or when we perceive that we are wronged as a society, we have ways we deal with people who do wrong, correct? We have facilities that in some countries are called correctional facilities. All right? The, the point there is not to call a prison because the idea of this is to bring them in, to lock them up, yes. But the hope is, is to, 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 to make them new people, to correct their behavior. I just call them prisons. Um, <laughs> but that's the goal, right? We as a society have said prisons are okay. There are some people who need a, a, a legal timeout from society. They need to be put in and pulled away from society and they need to either pay their debt or they need to be rehabilitated uh, but right now we believe that this person is not safe to be in normal society we need to put them up and so we lock them up our society has understood that and by the way we can forgive someone in prison right we can forgive but still ethically keep them in prison forgiveness does not condone sin or evil right Forgiveness is not saying we believe that everything you've done is right. Forgiveness says that, that I can be okay in my heart with you. But it, it could be that you might still have to pay for the consequences of your sin. And our society understands that. We get that. That's how we respond. I think that's probably the, the healthiest way society outside of God has discovered how to deal with people who've wronged is, is prison, is internment. That's probably the healthiest way. Here's some unhealthy ways I think that we all operate in it at some point. We get revenge. Revenge is not healthy. The goal of prison, of course, is not revenge. Our goal should not be revenge or, or retribution or retaliation. We just want to correct the behavior, right? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie uh, The Princess Bride. It's an old, old movie. Uh, the, the main actor there, is, his name is Mandy Pantenkin. I can't pronounce his name very well recently saw an interview with him. He was talking about the movie. Now, uh, he played a character called uh, Inogo Montoya. And if you've ever seen the movie, he has, two, he has two great lines. The one he's famous for is where he says, my name is Inogo Montoya. 
you killed my father, prepare to die. Now, the story, as the story goes, Inongo Montoya, when he was 11 years old, his father was killed by the sword in front of him. And uh, he vowed that day as an 11-year-old to take up sword playing, learn how to, to be the greatest swordsman of the world. So he, he practiced and worked at it until he was going to find that guy. And this guy who killed his father had six fingers, so he knew that someday he was going to find this six-fingered man and kill him because he was the best swordsman in the world. And he, would, he lived the rest of his life, you know, well into his 30s, trying to find this six-fingered man, trying to and get revenge, get, you know, payback for his father's death. It's a long, long journey of trying to find this man. He finally finds a six-fingered man, and he looks at him, and if you've seen the movie, you know what he does. He looks at him and says, Hello, my name is Inoga Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. He keeps repeating this line over and over again, and finally the six-finger man says, Stop saying that. Anyway, he gets his revenge, kills the man, and he's, he's leaving out, he's jumping out of the castle towards the end of the movie, out of a window. He looks at uh, the dread pirate Roberts, which is his, his co-character in the movie, and he says this. He says, says, you know, I've been in the revenge business for so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. He devoted his entire life to revenge. Mandy, the actor, interview recently said that for him, uh, as an older man, realizing, looking back on his life, he's asked all the time, what are your favorite lines of this movie? And he said, well, I used to say all the time that it was that first line. My name is Inoga Montoya. You killed my father. Uh, prepared to die. He says, but now my favorite line is actually this one. I've been in the revenge for so long. Now that it's over, I don't know what to do with the rest of my life. He realized because for him, the, the ideology of actually being at peace and, and accepting your fellow man is really the key to joy and happiness and peace. When someone wrongs us, uh, very often we, we can, uh, there's so many ways we can react when someone wrongs us. One of these is to get revenge, right? And societies very often are entirely built on that idea and it doesn't work. A friend of mine from Mozambique told me recently that revenge is an art where he comes from in Mozambique. So the story of crime is passed from generation to generation until someone is able to get the upper hand. Maybe not for the individual that committed the crime, but to the children of the one who committed the crime. There are societies that measure their devotion to their forefathers by getting revenge for them. Even if the children, uh, even if it's the children of, of the hurt. Why do they do this? Very often societies believe that if they can please their ancestors by getting revenge for their ancestors, then those ancestors that they pray to, that they believe in, will, will bless them in this life, in this world. And so they're on this continual cultural cycle of getting revenge in order to be blessed in this life by the very ancestors they're trying to please and bless. It's an endless cycle of death and destruction. Other ways that we respond when we're hurt is that we try to maybe reject the people. Not getting revenge, but just avoid them. Just stay away from them. Maybe you're one of these that you can name someone that you haven't spoken to in maybe five, six, or seven years. Just because 
they've done something to you and you refuse to forgive them. I heard recently of a story of a mom who, who basically banished his, his, her son 26 years later as they had not seen each other for 26 years. Her comment was, well, whenever he's willing to apologize for what he's done, I'll have a conversation with him. Wow. I don't think they're ever going to talk. But then there are ways that we approach this personally, individually, that are also very destructive when we've been harmed, when we've been disgraced in some way. I'm going to try to explain this to us as the best that I understand it. It won't be perfect today, but I'll try to explain it to you. This is my theory. I believe it's true. I've seen it happen in society time and time again. But when we do not accept God's plan for our lives, that is that we would be forgiven, and that we would also forgive the people who've hurt us. That, that's God's plan. And once that's happened, once we're in right relationship with God, God then begins to reveal His plan and purpose for our life. We begin to orchestrate our lives around His plan and His purposes for us. But that comes after, for, after forgiveness. So we begin to live for Christ. Now, not for revenge or, or not to avoid a person. Uh, we begin to live for Jesus. In, in the light of what God can do for us, and we set our life up on that path. When we don't do this, we, we, we continue to live in a world that's not real. We continue to set up in our mind, we understand the world, our life, ourself, in ways that are not accurate. And so we begin to set up our life in ways to either uh, do something that we thought was impossible in our own lives, or we try to please the very one who hurt us. We set up our lives, maybe not for revenge, but to try to overachieve for the very person who's, who's hurt us and angered us. And there's a possibility that we can create in ourselves what, what some psychologists call a super self. This is that we create this picture of who we think we should be based on the expectations of those who've hurt us around us. And, and this, can, this can play out in so many different ways. Uh, we can either set goals for ourselves that are not achievable. Um, we can also just pull out of society and just give up, not, don't do anything, just say, I'm going to show you that I can be okay by being a complete, total lazy fool. But we act out in ways based on our understanding of reality, which is, of course, not accurate because we're not in fellowship with God who sees things perfectly, truthfully. And sees you exactly as who you are. And so we act out in many, many different ways. Uh, this can lead to uh, what some might call perfectionism. But this, you know, perfecting whatever it is around us. Becoming excellent at things that God never asked you to be perfect in. We, we move into this, this ideology in this world of I ought to be like this. Or I ought to feel this way. And so we act out. It's, it's a very bizarre thing, but it, 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 it can be kind of summarized in these, these sort of these, some of these areas that I'll, I'll share with you now. But this need to be perfect. The, these people have a false sense of self. They try to be perfect for those who have disgraced them. This, this perfectionism reveals itself in maybe the way they put up silverware or <laughs> how they clean the house or uh, what the car should look like or how the lawn should be cut. Uh, there's so many different ways this perfectionism actually plays out. It could be for yourself. I've got to look this way. I have got to be 
the perfect body shape for society. Someone called me fat, therefore I need to now figure out how to be this perfect picture that this person obviously thinks that I've failed at. And this can lead to all kinds of problems, whether it's you know, eating disorders of all kinds, whether eating too much, too little, uh, all different types of eating disorders. And they can drive themselves and their families crazy. Perfectionist. They could, these distorted priorities, super self must prove itself superior and tries to find ways and areas to do so. The goal is to be better than everyone else instead of just being who God asked you to be. And so they drive for wealth and success and beauty and all these different things. And then when this person does either achieves the goal and is not satisfied or is unable to achieve these goals because they're too lofty, uh, the other temptation then is to then uh, point to someone else who kept them from their success. And so they, they find a scapegoat, someone that they can point to, and they stay eternal victims and say, because of this person, I was never able to achieve my plans. And so they're focused. Again, all of this is a distraction on who they should be focused on, which is God who can change them. Really what they need to do is forgive the person who hurt them and offended them and line themselves up with God's purposes instead of the purposes that are false. We see this in society, right? Uh, we also can have this angry need to prove, this, uh, this angry, angry drive to prove everyone was wrong about them. And we can get lost in this anger and not even realize where it comes from and be consumed by anger. I've just scratched the surface of all the ways we can damage ourselves when we don't forgive. It gives you maybe a window of, of how and why we do this. We can be our worst enemies because we refuse to forgive. We're the ones ultimately who will pay that. The key is to forgive, to be forgiven, and live for God, not for self. God invites us to receive this free gift and then to set our life up for him. I promise you, living for God is much less stressful than trying to be this super self, trying to be this person that you're not, to please this idea of yourself that is, that is greater or higher or lower than it should be. It's an inaccurate goal setting instead of asking God, what do you want from me? What is your plan? Let me live within your purposes and your plan. There is peace in God's forgiveness. Uh, there is this settledness that comes as we just rest in him and what he can do for us. We are invited uh, to, to choose option uh, A, which is forgive your neighbor instead of getting revenge, retaliation, avoid, reject, destroy yourself. These are all the other possibilities if you don't forgive. God invites us to forgive our neighbor because it is the best plan for our health. Forgiveness breaks the cycle of ungrace in our lives, but it also breaks the cycle of ungrace in the lives of others. Luke 17, verses 3 through 4 says this, I'm warning you, if another believer sins, rebuke him. Then if he repents, forgive him. Even if he wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, forgive him. <laughs> when Jesus said this to his disciples, I love it. The disciples looked at him and said, excuse me, <laughs> you want us to forgive people seven times? No, no, no. Jesus went on to say, no, not, not seven, but 70 times seven. Keep forgiving Forgive them forever. The expectation is that because we've been forgiven so much, we should also forgive those who've wronged us. 
because in comparison to what we're being asked to forgive, it is nothing compared to the great, huge gap, our desperate need for forgiveness that God afforded us. We've been forgiven millions. We're only being asked to forgive thousands. I've watched forgiveness play out with different families and friends of mine where maybe someone's cheated on them, hurt them in some way. And I can, I've seen in families who choose to forgive, I've seen the peace and the grace that falls on those families. And all of a sudden they're able not, not to, to focus on the things that really don't matter, that are not going to solve the problem, revenge and whatever else. They focus on living for God and discovering this sweet, sweet intimacy that comes only from God, the peace and, and purpose, purposefulness that comes only from serving God. Their lives become meaningful again because they were willing to forgive. In many ways, a lack of forgiveness is like a prison for us. It, it locks us into this world that, is, that has no end. Forgiveness breaks the cycle of ungrace in others' lives. When the, the wall fell in Germany years and years ago in the 1980s in our world, when that wall fell and East, the Germany came together and became one again, one of the first things they did in the parliament was to was to apologize for all the things that they did. They, they, they put it in writing. This is what they said. We, the first freely elected parliamentarians of the GDR, on behalf of the citizens of this land, admit responsibility for the humiliation, expulsion, and murder of Jewish men and women and children. We feel sorry and shame and acknowledge this burden of German history. Immeasurable suffering was inflicted on the peoples of the world during this era of national socialism. We ask all the Jews in, of the world to forgive us. We ask the people of Israel to forgive us for the hypocrisy and hostility of official East German policies toward Israel and for the persecution and humiliation of Jewish citizens in our country after 1945 as well. This statement was passed unanimously by the parliament. After it passed, there was a standing ovation and a moment of silence for those who lost their lives. So what, what did this accomplish? Maybe all it did was to help absolve their guilt and help that they've been holding over themselves for decades. But it was, the, it was a, a huge point, a, a tipping point for them to be able to go on and, and to, to, to live out society and have a successful future. They needed to have this forgiveness. They needed to apologize. We long to be forgiven. Uh, Ernest Hemingway, the, the famous author, uh, wrote a book, a fictional story about a, a, a boy by the name of Paco. Uh, who is alienated by his father. Uh, he's alienated by his father, and he runs off to Madrid. The distraught father puts an ad in the Madrid newspaper, El Libera, and that reads, Paco, meet at the Hotel Montana noon Tuesday. All is forgiven, Papa. Ernest Hemingway writes that when the father went to the square, hopefully to find his son, there were 800 young men named Paco waiting for their fathers. We, we long to be forgiven, right? But we struggle to give the same thing we long for so desperately to those around us. God invites us not only to be forgiven by him, but to forgive others. That's, that's the plan. That's, that's the key. That's the secret to peace. That's the secret to health. Colossians 3, verses 11 through 13 says this. 
In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. I think he covers everything there. Christ is all that matters. And he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourself with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must what? You must forgive others. This is our invitation. God has forgiven us the millions, right? He's asking us to forgive the thousands. I shared kind of an intro to my sermon uh, with Dana this week, and uh, uh, Dana gave me a suggestion that I'd like to apply today. I'm going to see if I can do it exactly as she asked me to. She says, you know what, Brian, your sermon is packed with the why, you know, why we should forgive. Uh, could you help us with the how? I thought it was a really great suggestion. There's my sweet boy. But the how, how do we do this? What we're being asked to do here uh, seems difficult, right? And you all can name something that you're saying, I can forgive everything except for that. Yeah. Practical step number one is to humble yourself before God and just pray. Speak to God about it. Be honest with him. Step one, speak to God. Um, and, and be honest with him and say, I'm having a hard time forgiving. Say their name. God knows who they are anyway, right? Maybe you shouldn't say their name in a public square with people all around. But go before God, just you, and say, God, I'm having trouble forgiving this person. Help me. Help me have your perspective. Uh, step one, really, and you could call this, lump this into a suggestion, this idea of, of abiding in Christ, remaining in his love. Park uh, next to God as often as you can. Uh, meditate with him. Speak to him and get his perspective. It begins humbling yourself before him and saying, God, give me your take on the situation that I'm frustrated with. God will begin to, to, to speak truth in your life. There's several things he might do. He might begin, I think probably the first thing he'll say to you and, and, and let you see is, is the incredible thing that he's done on the cross for you. He's going to help you realize how much he's forgiven you. And he's going to help you understand based on his power and his love, his grace, to be able to have the same perspective on others that they need forgiveness just like you do. That could be step one. I would encourage you also, too, to say thank you for that person. Uh, thank God that this person is alive. And that's not going to be easy for you. There's some people you wish were dead, right? Okay, let's be honest, right? People that have hurt you, you wish they just weren't on earth anymore? I've had people in my life that I've actually thought this. I don't care if I see them ever again in this life. Let them die so they can be in the face of Jesus. Jesus will transform them, and then I want to see them face to face. But not until they've been changed truly by God. Maybe you're not as evil as I am. But I've had those thoughts. I've wished people were removed from this planet. A great tip for you is begin thanking God for that person. 
God, thank you for this evil person. Thank you for this person who's hurt me. Thank you for this person who's murdered. Thank you for this person who's raped. And ask God to help you have his perspective on their lives. And then I think step number three, you need to realize that God has forgiven you more than you are being asked to forgive this person. And you can list all kinds of sin before God. You can say, well, I've never raped, I've never murdered, I've never done. You can list all these things you've never done. But this is what you have done. You've sinned against Almighty God. There's no, there's no sin greater than the sin that we commit against our Father. Even if it's a casual insult or a little slap, it's against God, and that's what makes it huge. The way I like to describe this, if, if you, someone have dogs here, if you have dogs or pets, most of us would understand uh, if a dog misbehaves to, to slap uh, a dog, right? Uh, I've seen some people beat their dogs. I wouldn't recommend you do that. But uh, just a, a reprimand, a tap, we're okay with that, a slap. Imagine, picture with me slapping your dog, all right? Most of us are okay with that. Now imagine the same slap to your child, okay? The same way you slapped a dog, then you slap your child. Now we're kind of, for some families, just saying, yeah, I do that all the time. It works. Beat your kids. Make them stray. But there are others who would say, no, no, no. Gosh, I would never treat my kids like I would treat my pet, right? Now imagine the same hand, the hand that slapped a dog, the hand that slapped your child. Imagine the same hand, the same hand slapping your husband slapping your wife now we've crossed the line right you're doing the same thing you slap the dog right same action slapped your child now you slap your spouse what's changed who it's who it's against correct now just imagine with me if you took the same hand and went to the president of any nation in the world and slapped them what might could happen to you you're probably going to get shot or imprisoned or something. Something bad is going to happen to you because it's not acceptable to slap the face of a leader of a country. Now, with that same hand, imagine slapping Almighty God. What do you deserve? That's a crime, according to Scripture, that is befitting of death. Your crime should be punished by death because of what you've done, because it's against God. That's why Jesus Christ had to die on the cross, is because your sins deserve the punishment of death. My sins deserve the punishment of death. It's a serious crime, more serious than anything we could ever possibly do here. There's no crime as serious as that. And so God asks us to forgive. And then possibly you can then begin to focus and meditate on the fact that when God forgives us, he also transforms us. And so you can bank on that if Jesus actually comes into someone's life, no matter what they've done, God not only can forgive them, but he can also change them into the people that you wish they had always been. I've seen God, oh, I've seen God change rough fathers, harsh fathers, difficult people, seeing God humble people full of themselves, full of pride and full of love of self, and God has made them into loving, caring people. 
God is able to change us. He's able to change the person that you're refusing to forgive. So maybe that would inspire you. It's possible, though, that you forgive them and, and you offer them the forgiveness that comes from God and they choose not to. Then what? You continue to live for God. You continue to forgive. I think of Stephen in the Bible who was stoned, who was killed. Stephen, as he looked up to heaven, he says, Lord, please forgive them, for they know not what they do. This, is the, this was the example of Jesus Christ, right? Who, as he was being killed and crucified, he said on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive them. This is our Savior, the one who forgives even when we don't deserve it. It's, it's this unmerited grace. It, it is the only solution for our planet. It's the only solution for your peace. That is that we forgive. This morning, I, I know um, there are so many, so many different ways that you could choose to function and operate to have this meaningful life that you so long for. I would ask you this morning to consider the possibility of not setting your life up for revenge or retaliation, retribution. Don't set your life up to avoid or act out or create this super self. But come before God, forgiving those who've hurt you and asking God for forgiveness for the sins that you've committed and experience the peace and freedom that can only come from him. A story is told that in 1983, under communist rule in Poland, that uh, Pope John Paul II visited uh, there uh, before they were liberated from communism, and he held a huge mass. So parishes organized marches toward the stadium to hear him. So every day to hear him, they would have these marches through, through the city to go hear Pope John Paul II. On the way to these rallies, they always passed the communist party, the central, uh, the central committee building. And as they passed, they would yell, we forgive you! <laughs> we forgive you! Soon after this, a priest was found uh, floating in, in a river with his eyes cut out. Once again, the Catholics took to the streets with banners that read, we forgive you. We forgive you. And this spirit of prevailing grace caused the regime to fall peacefully. Well, if you know your history, but Poland fell very peacefully. It went in smooth transition into democracy. Once forgiveness takes place, you've begun the cycle of moving from the law to grace. Um, the next step is continuing to see yourself as a child of God, unique, fully loved by God, and then living for his purposes. That's the secret of life is in receiving his forgiveness but also giving that to a lost world. We're invited to take practical steps, do whatever it takes to live out the same forgiveness that God has given to us. We need to yield and give to others. Let's pray together. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. The worship team of ladies, by the way, in case you don't know. And let's stand, let's stand together. Today I would ask you to consider uh, maybe uh, a person or persons in your life that you have refused to forgive. And maybe you could go before God today, begin the process of saying, Lord, help me. Help me to have your perspective on this individual. Begin the process today of 
of praying and asking God to help you with the perspective that you need, his perspective, the right perspective on that individual. And then submit to yourself to his plan for that person. And, and then God will begin to soften you, to allow you to be able to forgive. Start that process today. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you, Father. Lord, we stand before you, and, and probably most of us completely unaware of just how extraordinary, how extraordinarily we have been forgiven. And Lord, we, we have done things against you, Father, that deserve the punishment of death. And Father, you've sent your Son as a ransom for us. Lord, you've done, Lord, what is beyond our imagination, and you have forgiven us. Lord, help us to have your perspective. Help us to see as you see. And then, Lord, give us grace to be able to forgive those around us. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. And Lord, we praise you for this great salvation. In your name I pray. Amen. This is Rico Veca, and I am also a pastor at New Song Family Church. I want to thank you for listening to this message today. And it is my hope that you will join us again for another New Song Family Church podcast.